brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Meanwhile Here on Earth. This program features in-depth conversations with the leading names in the subjects of UFOs, abductees, the paranormal, panel discussions, and the very best and brightest of the next generation of writers and researchers. Meanwhile, here on Earth, the show breaking new ground in alternative talk with your intrepid host, veteran investigative writer and researcher, Peter Robbins. Good morning, afternoon, or evening. This is, in fact, Peter Robbins. The show is, meanwhile, here on Earth, and you are listening or watching on KGB Digital Broadcasting. Dot com. Um, I'm going to dispense with uh, any opening remarks. We have uh, a return guest who is always compelling and a dear friend and esteemed colleague. And um, I know we have a lot to talk about. I will say in the interest of full disclosure that my guest and I are recording this on um, Tuesday, July 5th, the day after the 4th of July. Because today, as you listen, Monday the 11th, I believe it is, uh, I am either in transit back from uh, the MUFON Symposium in Denver, or I am home, but very glad to not be doing a two-hour live show. That understood. Stephen Bassett is a political activist, disclosure advocate, and the executive director of Paradigm Research Group, better known as PRG was founded in 1996 to end a government-imposed embargo on the truth behind extraterrestrial-related phenomena. Stephen has spoken to audiences around the world about the implications of disclosure, the former, well, specifically meaning, the formal confirmation by heads of state of an extraterrestrial presence engaging the human race. He has lectured around the world on the political implications of UAP-ET phenomena, and given over 1,200 radio and television interviews. PRG's advocacy work has been extensively covered by national and international media, including being featured on CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, The Washington Post, and The New York Times. In 2013, PRG organized and conducted a genuinely historical event, 
the citizens' hearing on disclosure at the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. In November of 2014, PRG launched a two-year political initiative out of Washington that injected the ET issue into the 2016 presidential campaign. PRG will soon launch a new project based out of Hollywood, California, and Washington, D.C. Stephen Bassett has appeared in many documentary films, and his lectures and interviews are well represented on YouTube. His main website is paradigmresearchgroup.org. And Steve, it's a pleasure to welcome you back to Meanwhile Here on Earth. Or it will be a pleasure as soon as you are on camera and with me. And there he is. Can you hear me, Stephen? Houston, we have a problem. I can't. I'm sorry, Peter. I can't hear you. One moment. I think I can hear you now. Excellent. Sounds like the old AT&T commercial. Yes, I can hear you now. Okay. Right. Um, it's good to be with you again. Yeah, it's great to see you, Steve. Uh, you are not in your normal haunts of Washington, D.C., in an undisclosed location, uh, several stories below the Capitol building. You are out west in another legendary location, Hollywood, California. Yes, I, uh, I now have a place, a small place in Hollywood, California. And, of course, I have uh, my place out in uh, Washington, D.C., so I am fully bicoastal, and uh, that's uh, been in, been my goal throughout my entire life was to be bicoastal. And having achieved that goal, I may retire. <laughs> um, you know, once you've hit the, you know, go out on top. Um, uh, yeah, I'm glad we're doing the show today. Yeah, um, there's been a lot on my mind, and I want to share some of that for those, even if they don't want to hear it. <laughs> um. Why don't we begin by you doing just that, Steve? Sure. I you, Your show has a, a wonderful title. Meanwhile, here on Earth. I mean, this is so cool. Right? I've told you that before. Because, because it implies, well, there's something going on on Earth. Uh, and meanwhile, let's talk about that. But it, it, it implies that there's something going on off Earth. Yes. Okay. In other words, you could we could have another show. Meanwhile, off Earth, right? And of course, we know that we know that's exactly what is happening. Yeah. Um. And right away, that just brings up a a whole range of things in my mind. Um. I I was born just. Uh, just before Roswell, a uh, few months, and and uh, uh, not, and I was conceived just a few months after the the bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and then I was um, actually born just before Roswell. So my entire life has been a ride through history, accompanied by uh, the ET reality thing evolving, yes. as well as the uh, nuclear arms race evolving. Uh, which was accompanied by a cold war. I've lived my entire life under the wonderful aegis of mutual assured destruction, meaning um, whatever your plans are, uh, you're probably going to be able to, to pursue them. 
have a family, a job, whatever, uh, because of mutual assured destruction, meaning that uh, uh, those nukes will never actually get used in, in a war, even though we, we keep building thousands of them because everyone knows that uh, if you did that, everyone would get most 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 of civilization would be destroyed and no there'd be no winners no one can win that. and that is what we lived with for most of our lives but things have changed well yeah sort of but the, the, the point i'm making is is that that's a kind of nervous situation to be in um live your life enjoy your pursue your dreams uh because we'll never use nuclear weapons because no one would win but then they never add that caveat but of course there could be an accident right <laughs> you know it's like so it it's like um living your whole life uh, in a house on a train track <laughs> right but you've been told that um, no that train track's not used anymore Right. Uh, so you have nothing to worry about and you go to bed every night knowing there's no chance a train's coming through, whatever. Uh, it's it's been odd. Yeah. And 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 you have lived every day of your life that way, as 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 ha most of our colleagues yes. and the vast majority of all the people on the planet Earth. Correct. And no, no, no humans uh, prior to. 1947 uh, spent a second living that way. That that was a milestone that we still don't fully appreciate what it meant and how it's affected us yeah. uh, in terms of our hopes and dreams and worldview and, and our politics or religion and everything else. At any moment, there could be an accident which leads to a nuclear war. And that's yeah. the ball game, not just locally, globally. All right. So this 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 is is interesting. Uh, and so what what I've been thinking about is that there is a a, a wonderful precedent for uh, what we've been going through in terms of the ET issue. And that and I've talked about this before, but not lately. And that, of course, is the 17th century, the early 17th century. Uh, 1600 to 1620, which is essentially 400 years ago, 400 years ago, uh, the, in the West, uh, the first telescope emerges around 1608 out of the Netherlands of all places and immediately spreads to, to Europe and, and, and finally comes to the attention of Galileo Galilei. Uh, fact is, is that the first telescope was really invented, not surprisingly, uh, uh, 700 years uh, earlier uh, by uh, an, an Arab uh, scientist named Ab Abdul Hassan Ibn Ishaq, um, who they actually created spectacles uh, and binoculars mm -hmm. uh, that were used in, in combat 700 years before Galileo. And so uh, we don't talk about that here in the West because the West has a certain view of history and that view is that if it wasn't invented here it doesn't matter um i get that but so what what the the islamic leaders of the time in the ninth century uh felt about what they saw when they looked through those 
those uh, glass uh, version of a, of a telescope in mm -hmm. the sky. Uh, I, I don't know. But we know what the authorities in the West did when they looked <laughs> through that sky, let the telescope at the sky. Which brings me to the sky. Um, we don't we don't give enough thought to it, but frankly, but for the vast majority of the last two hundred and fifty thousand years, up until very recently, the sky was the sole form of entertainment for the human race. <laughs> um, there was no TV, no high def, no internet, no movies, no film, no photographs. Even before there was books, writing, right before that, for Tens, tens of thousands of years. The only entertainment they had was at night <clears throat> and it was the sky. <clears throat> and the sky during that period was crystal clear mm -hmm. everywhere, right? except when there were clouds. There's no, no, uh, no smoke, no, no pollution. Uh, virtually everywhere on the planet at night, it was beautiful and crystal clear and they would see it night after night after night, and they noticed that it moved. And so that was their entertainment. And they studied it. They, they, they plotted its movements. They eventually built monuments that reflected its movements. They, they studied what I would call exoastronomy. Uh, they really paid a great deal of attention, put it, investigated and in, uh, in, invested a huge amount of time and effort and thought into this thing, the sky up there. <clears throat> so, in the 17th century, at least in Europe, we have the telescope, and Galileo looks through it, and others, he wasn't the only one, there were quite a few, and they see something new, and they see something more than what humans had been seeing for those tens and tens of thousands of years, and what they saw was important because unlike any time previously, again, I'm, I'm leaving out the, the, the Islamic world and the Arab world and what they were seeing 700 years prior, changed the worldview of authority of the West. It was a worldview changer, it's that simple. And the authority of the, of the time was the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church actually ruled above the kings, right? The kingdoms and the authorities of, of the principalities and nations actually was below the authority of the church. And there's, we know that. And so Galileo goes to the church and says, look through this. There's something else going on out there that changes our thinking about it. And the Catholic Church basically said no. I'm using a metaphor here. We're not going to look through that. We're not looking through that telescope. Because if we don't look through that telescope, then we won't have to change our worldview. And for those that do look through it and want to change the worldview, well, we have, uh, how would you say, some, some uh, measures that we're going to apply to you, which you're not going to like at all. Incentives. Incentives to, like, just drop the whole thing. In other words, <clears throat> in the West... The Western authority in the early 17th century, what was on the other side of that telescope threatened the, the, how would you say, 
authoritarian security, yeah. right? The religious security of the time. And for religious security reasons, <laughs> it simply could not be allowed. <laughs> and so they embargoed it. They created a truth embargo at that time regarding what was emerging from the astronomy of the time uh, because of what the telescope saw. It took 200 years before the Catholic Church allowed a book in the Vatican Library, which actually referred to what Galileo and others were seeing 200 years prior. But they finally, they finally yielded it up, right? And then they, they said, okay, we're on board. And they are going to build their own telescopes, and they're going to be looking up there, trying to get ahead of this thing, all right? So for, that was fine. Okay. And that was... Uh, the early 1600s. It was 400 years ago, almost to the day in a sense. <laughs> now, 400 years go by roughly, and something else turns up. And of course, I'm referring to the events of 47 and Roswell. Roswell is to me the symbol uh, of the emergence of this new aspect of of the uh, of the world outside of Earth. Meanwhile, off Earth, uh, though there were other things that were pointing at it, but Roswell stands in nicely as the the Galileo event, right? Look through the telescope. Oops, moons of Jupiter. And so, the United States government learned that there were. Uh, there was technology and entities that were neither human technology, not built by humans that was in, in, in our airspace that it were visiting in some way. They got that crash. They got those bodies, July, 1947. And the <clears throat> American authority, just like the Catholic authority at the time, 400 years ago, basically said, we can't deal with that. We're not going to deal with that. You're not going to deal with that because it, affects national security. And so for national security reasons, just like the Catholic Church security. For religious security reasons, I said, we're going to embargo that. Right? And so that embargo is now 75 years on. And there were a lot of people, uh, at, just as in the uh, 17th century, every day a few more people got their hands on one of those uh, little telescopes, started looking through it. That was happening, it happened in Asia because the Ch uh, China, uh, the, the Chinese um, dynasties got, got it about five years later, six years later, and they're looking through it. And so it's spreading, it's spreading, it's spreading, but the Catholic Church held fast, right? And so it's same thing here. Every year that passed since 47, more people started to figure it out, started to see, oh, oh, I see what's going on. And so the government had to, how would you say, institute measures to ensure that, well, we don't want to get this out of hand, all right? To my knowledge, no one was burned at the stake, but there were some difficult uh, times for certain people at certain times, and, and all manner of, of, of incentives to, to hold to the party line, the national security line, decade after decade. Again, it took the Catholic Church 200 years before they finally yielded on this, in a sense. The symbolic yield, meaning we will actually allow a book on the subject in our library. I think there was some yielding prior to that, some softening here and there. 
modern times move faster. So it's taken 75 years in this case for that book to turn up in that library. And it is about to be put into the library. 75 years is how long this embargo lasted. It will end very soon. And I don't know if we should be proud of that or ashamed of that, that given the vast access we have to information and self-education uh, and all, all that we've learned about science uh, and the world in general, cataloged, understood, that seven, it took 75 years before the obvious was acknowledged by the ruling authority, uh, I would say that's not something to be proud of. And it gets worse because unlike the situation in the 17th century, learning that the earth was not the center of the solar system, that there was other things going on out there, didn't play too, not, not suppressing that, did not play too much of a role in the, 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 the other developments of the time. It wasn't tied too much to the, the, you know, the wars in Europe or, or whatever was going on uh, that obviously was also happening at the same time that helped to shape the modern world and the, the, the coming centuries. It was a worldview change that, that was, was more than capable of being compatible with the Catholic faith. It's just that Pope Urban VIII wasn't, wasn't, was down, wasn't down on it, right? It's just, we're just not comfortable with it. That is not the case this time. This is something far more significant than what happened in the early 1600s. Why? Because when we look through the telescope, in a sense, in 1947, not coincidentally, it was right at the time and the beginning of what would be the Cold War, what would be the nuclear arms race, not just another war in Europe, or another problem between a couple of uh, you know kings that didn't like each other, but literally a existential reality in which we had taken war and weapons to the point where it all goes up in smoke overnight. <clears throat> Mutual assured destruction globally. Whoa, that was new. And so as we move forward, each day in the truth embargo, there was in fact a connection between this new information that we weren't alone in the universe and we were being visited and the development of nuclear weapons, nuclear weapons policy, Cold War, and everything else that happened uh, connected to that, which includes a whole bunch of proxy wars, meaning we can't have a nuclear war, but we can have a proxy war where we fight each other indirectly, in a sense, on somebody else's land, uh, often using other you know, nation soldiers and people, right? And they all die and their land gets destroyed, but our land is okay. It's in these proxy wars that emerged after 1947, which historically will be viewed as just, I don't know how to describe it, uh, the worst of it, the worst of the kinds of wars, meaning I can't fight you, but we're going to fight ourselves indirectly by slaughtering people who are not, right? You're not invested on one side or the other. It's just that that's where we're going to fight you. 
whether it's in Vietnam, whether it's in the Middle East, wherever the hell. But we can't fight each other because of mutual assured destruction. And so other people will die for our philosophy, for our position. All right. Just atrocious, abysmal, the worst kind of thing. And we did it. We killed millions. Still doing right? it. And we're still doing it. Okay. So the, the problem that, that offends me so much is that we can't just ascribe a, a world view change of version to what started in 1947, just a little uncomfortability uh, with it. Uh, it's much, much more than that. Yeah. Uh, the governments of the world, the ones that mattered, certainly, U.S., Soviet Union, soon, and well, not right away, because China was going through a much, much more a much very difficult time at that time, a huge political upheaval and, and the battle between the communists and, and the nationalists and so forth. But eventually they, they got on board is that we, we have this commitment to war as politics by other means. We have a commitment to the concept of weaponry as, as uh, um, preeminent in our sense of security, and we are going to pursue that. And this truth that we're not alone is um, an obstacle. It is it is a problem for pursuing that philosophy. And therefore, without thinking through, without spending a lot of time agonizing over it, without consulting with with many many scholars or holding you know, uh, inquiries and what have you. We're just going to do it. In other words, we're embargoing it, period. All right? It doesn't exist. If you, if you think it does, you're an idiot, a fool, <laughs> a nutter, a joke. All right? Uh, a conspiracy theorist. Whatever. And we're, we're just not going to do it. And we're so committed to it that... Decade after decade, as the world goes deeper and deeper into what we will call the existential crisis that mutual assured destruction represents, as the weapons piled up by the tens of thousands, as more nations got more weapons, as we found more ways to deliver those weapons and slaughter each other from the ocean, from the sky, and ultimately eventually from space, right? We held fast to that embargo. There's no extraterrestrials, right? But I can't be. No. In fact, we may be alone in the universe. Back in the, 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 the late 20th century, a scientist wrote a book called Rare Earth, where he made a powerful case. While, in fact, the idea of any kind of an Earth with a civilization was extremely rare. Might not even be one out there, but if there is, it may, it may be one or two dotted somewhere in the galaxy. Haven't heard from that person lately. Right. Hopefully that person has moved into another area of science having nothing to do with this. But that that was only 20 years ago, 25 years ago. Rare earth. OK. Held fast to it. And and as we're making what progress we can, all of the researchers uh, like my colleagues, including you, as well as the journalists like my colleagues, including you. Right. And white writers off all of that, all of this effort and the activists, of course, we're, we're making progress and and so forth. OK. 
And we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. We're almost there, okay? And then what happens? Suddenly we launch into a what appears to be a uh, an almost unstoppable era of regression in which everybody's saying we need to go back. Hell, some of them want to go all the way back to the 16th century, right? 17th century, right? Or at least some, some want to go back to the 1100s. But more importantly, one of the world leaders who damn well knows there's an extraterrestrial presence decides that before he leaves this world and goes to a higher plane, all right, need to have one more invasion, one more really classic old-time invasion, okay, justified or at least allowed completely on the basis of mutual assured destruction, meaning I'm going to do it. You can't stop it because you can't use nuclear weapons. And I'm going to threaten to use nuclear weapons just to reinforce that fact. We can't (laughs) use nuclear weapons. All right. And so we're going to have another proxy war. And the people who are going to die in this war are uh, what uh, they call themselves Ukrainians. And by that, I mean men and women and children and their pets. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. And in this proxy war, some soldiers from our side are are going to be involved, okay, and they will die, but we don't care about them. We never do. Like the proxy war that we had in Vietnam. We had our soldiers there. Uh, so in that sense, it wasn't we, – we were putting the lives on the line, all right, but one of the uh, enemies on the other side was the Chinese, and they didn't do that. They just provided billions of dollars of support to their North Vietnamese allies so that they could fight us. Does that sound familiar? So in this case, we don't have our soldiers on the ground, but we're providing billions of dollars so the Ukrainians can fight the Russians, all right? And they're going to die for us, all right? And I'm watching the talk of nuclear war just spread through the media. It's constant on television, on CNN, on Fox. You've got authoritative authorities and 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 and, and brilliant political uh, you know analysts and, and generals coming on and talking about yeah nuclear war, nuclear weapons, this that could be used. Don't know. This is standard. It's it's literally happening all the time in the media. Meanwhile, you've got other nations that are saying, well, since that's where we're going, we need to start emphasizing where we are. And so let's start testing our hypersonic rockets, our hypersonic missiles, the ones that you can't stop at all, that can maneuver. And there's nothing you can do. And they're so fast, boom, you got no chance. And of course, Korea's got a 
got to start doing some testing to emphasize, hey, we got some too. Hmm. Uh, and the U.S., same thing, only our hypersonic missile failed, but we'll catch up eventually. Take a moment right now to uh, give a one-minute explanation of the difference between a conventional killing missile and a hypersonic missile. A hypersonic missile is capable of traveling so fast that there is simply no way it can be intercepted by any kind of anti-ballistic missile system, right? It just transcends that. Also, it's being developed so it can maneuver, so that it doesn't have an absolute strict singular course that you can kind of plot and say, ooh, let's get it there. Can't do that. Right. It travels low. That's even worse. The, chi- the Chinese, or the, um, the Koreans, rather, launched a hypersonic missile that I believe is reported went around the planet. <gasps> right? Okay. So essentially, in addition to the submarine missiles, which can be launched offshore, uh, and unless those submarines are taken out by attack subs, those missiles hit very, very quickly, so you have no time. But if you had a ballistic missile system in place, you might be able to intercept them. Now you've got missiles, the hypersonics, that can be launched from, say, uh, you, you know, the, the Russian territory, Chinese territory, and when we finally get ours up and gunning our territory, which are almost like the, the, the submarine-based missiles, it's incredibly fast, can't be stopped. And so, again, mutually assured destruction reemphasized. Okay, remember, there's nothing, uh, uh, not, nothing uh, no, no winners here. All right. And this is all unfolding rapidly. Right. Now, look, I was I was very depressed when Hillary Clinton lost the election, not because I loved Hillary Clinton, not because I was in love with her campaign or her politics per se, but she was primed and ready to be the disclosure president. It was in the works. It was happening and the media was fully on board. So when she lost, it essentially stopped the activism at that point. I knew it, too. There was nowhere to go for an indefinite period of time. One, two, three, four, five years. All right. Now, I was I was gratified and reassured when the Two the Stars Academy did make their move in October of 17, which meant that things were going to get going again. And so that was wonderful. And we saw that start to develop. Right. And so I started to have optimism again. All right. And then the universe said, never get optimistic, Steve. Uh, always reserve, you know, your optimism, <laughs> because then we got slammed with a global pandemic, yeah. economic problems, uh, political chaos in the United States, and then Vladimir Putin's, uh, how would you say, last hurrah, swan song or whatever. And then the nuclear issue starts to just literally emerge again. And you know, what, what can I say? Meanwhile, here on Earth, Peter, right? Meanwhile, here on Earth, what you're seeing is the last gasp of a, of a worldview, the Western worldview in particular, which is the one we're wedded to, right? America comes out of the West. It comes out of Europe. Yes. That's, that's what we are. That's who we are. This binary Western thinking, okay? Everything is one or the other. It's black or white or left or right or red or blue or good or evil. And there is not much in between at all. The last gasp of this worldview, as it's also practiced 
in other parts of the world, particularly Russia, particularly China, to really blow it all up, right? Not, not, not necessarily because the disclosure of the ET presence is, is coming and they want to blow it all up before we finally acknowledge it. No, no, it's not that. It's just that, that, that we've delayed this, this uh, ending the truth embargo so long that the, the, the regular, the, the, the standard components of the, of the various worldviews have continued to boil and boil and boil, right? Until they're reaching kind of a breaking point, all right? A breaking point, all right? And everything that we, we, we fear the most is now on the table, right? China, we will have Taiwan. We will, it is inevitable. We will have Taiwan. Articles are turning up about, yeah, invasion plans, how they would go about it. Could Taiwan defend itself? Should we step in? Okay, we will have Taiwan. Putin says, we will have the Ukraine. Ukraine doesn't exist. It's Russian. It will be ours. And of course, the United States, well, we're not that blatant. We're, We're more nuanced. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and nobody is nobody is standing up in the in the United States Congress say we will take Canada back. At one point, we had a lot of Canada, right? You know, in the early colonies, right before before the Revolutionary War, we had a lot of that Canada. By God, they took it back. They even invaded Michigan. All right, we want it back. So we're invading Canada. We're not doing that. What we're doing is is operating under a sort of de facto understood hege- hegemony. In which, look, if we feel we need to bomb you, we're going to bomb you because you are you're not sharing our values or are you doing something we think is a little unnerving or maybe a, a threat to us. We will bomb you. OK, now, most people don't even know this, but let me educate them. The, the, the country that has bombed more other countries is dropped bombs on more other countries since the end of the Korean War is the United States. We're number one. More than all of the other countries combined. Number two is the Soviet Union. Okay. All right. But it's a it's a it's a distant second. China, nothing. All right. They, they were too busy building up an economy and trying to you know enter the modern world as a communist nation which, of course, we resent the hell of, right? How dare you be successful economically? And so the more successful they get, the more we call them an enemy. Because my, you know, I mean, look, wanting to bomb us is one thing, but man, you start taking away our markets and like you are an enemy and we're going to have to take you down. We bomb more countries than, than any other nation in the world, okay? And so that's our way of continuing to pursue this worldview, Okay, this worldview. And so. As it happens, meanwhile, here on Earth, at the same time, we are approaching the ability to end this truth embargo. I'm sitting in Washington or sitting in Hollywood. And and I spend a little bit of time uh, about what I'm doing and how it might help. And of course, I'm talking with colleagues all over and what they're trying to do at the same time. We're we're nearing the finish line. Okay, I'm seeing the other aspects of meanwhile here on Earth, whether whether connected or unconnected to that, 
basically trying to finally end this whole damn experiment. In other words, bring it all to an end, blow it up, right? And so now the two things are racing with each other. And, and, and I'm going, who needs that? I mean, look, you know, Galileo and Bruno and the others in Europe, look, they, 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 uh, they, they, they were given a hard time and, and uh, there were some deaths. Galileo was just put in uh, house arrest, uh, was able to live out his life, wrote some things, uh, had a place in history. All right. But again, Europe eventually got on board. The science of astronomy emerged and, and things went on. So, but this is not like that. This is not like that. This is, I mean, this is, this is Pope Urban VIII saying to Galileo, look, if you, if, you, if you keep pressing this issue about what you're seeing through that telescope, the Catholic Church, using the wrath of God, is going to destroy all of civilization, right? Not only the Catholics, but the Protestants, Asia, the Arabs, it's all going to be blown to hell because we have that power because God has told me that. You know, I, I speak to God. I'm a spokesperson for God on the planet. So, you know, you had better cool it. That's the situation we're in. I'm going, oh, man. And so this, this idea that, that before we can finally get some hearings in Congress, right, finally, which we have tried for decades to get, finally get some hearings for these wonderful military witnesses like Bob Salas and so many others to come up under oath and simply tell the truth uh, in a nonpartisan way to members yeah. of our esteemed congressional committees uh, in front of millions of people watching with great anticipation before we can, oh, we're almost there, but before we can quite get there, right? The United States is descending into a almost, how can I describe it? Well, they, they keep talking about civil war. <laughs> you know, you've got commentators going, oh, is, are, is the next civil war coming? I'm going, what? C- civil war? Okay. Right. Uh, we're, seeing our, we're seeing our nation start to literally shred, right? And it, it's coming apart again. Is it fixable? Yeah, it's fixable ultimately. All right. But, we're, we got, but it's a distraction. It makes it very difficult yes. to look through that telescope. And see the moons of Jupiter, right? Because all hell is breaking loose around us. And there's that. Okay. And then, of course, the war in Ukraine continues. The slaughter continues. And because of the nature of the modern world and the nature of just Americans in general, our attention span is very, very short. The Ukraine war is now being treated like a streaming series on Netflix, Okay. In other words, we had season one and people were watching it and really talking about it. Right. Is why this is a great series, man. This is, this is gripping. This is exciting. Okay. And then season one ended and we had to, to, uh, to, uh, and then another story, another, another series started running on Netflix and we switched over to that knowing that season two of the Ukrainian series would start in the fall. Right. Okay. All right. I appreciate your tolerance here. No, I think what you're saying is incredibly important and just as timely. And so I'm envisioning, I mean, the prospect, 
that we're going to have that accidental nuclear war, the one mm. we almost had during the Cuban Missile Crisis. A sub, a Soviet sub commander yep. prevented it from happening because he didn't launch a nuclear torpedo when he was told that's what he had to do. That's or right. when when a a a, a missile base commander like Robert Salas, right, faced with an actual go launch commode c- codes coming into him because of certain missiles launched out of Scandinavia that they got tracked wrong. Just didn't quite buy it, and so he refused to launch. And so, yeah, we. we and there's been other instances of that. All right. In other words, the accidental nuclear war. We've dodged about a half a dozen of them. And 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 go on the street and ask the first thousand people you meet and say, how many? Do you know how many times we've almost accidentally had a nuclear war? They're going to say, we accidentally almost had a nuclear war. Uh, I had no idea. I had no idea. And by the way, what are nuclear weapons? I, I'm not familiar with it. Whatever. Okay. And so, again, those in the know, like the national security people, they know all this. And you know this, and I know this, but most people don't know this. But we're one accident away, right? And it's possible that, that Putin, in his delusion, may actually deliberately use a tactical nuke just because he can. And because, yeah. again, mutual assured destruction means that we cannot respond. It's called a limited use. It's actually a concept. It's being talked about by e- academics and, and commentators. Yes, the new, let me, let me nuke issue, the tactical use used as deterrence to prevent things getting worse, whatever the hell, okay? He might do that. He might not. I don't know, right? The idea that before we can finally look through that telescope or get, get our government to look through the telescope and say, wow, that's that's a game changer right there. We're going to literally have the nuclear war we've been trying to get. I, I, I just simply can't tell you how much angst that generates. It's like, um, in other words, this this is a Greek god thing. Okay, the Greeks understood this, right? That, that the entire nuclear weapons age, the entire Cold War, is probably the greatest act of hubris the humans have ever conducted. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, this is hubris at the highest level, right? You know. We have the power of the sun. We will use it or not use it as we choose. We can blow everything up, right? Yep. Putin is, Lavrov and Putin are going on uh, uh, media and they are talking, and I'm not making this up. They're talking about the fact that their hypersonic missiles, and again, believe me, the United States will make the same thing in a heartbeat. We're probably working on it right now. Their hypersonic move holds a series. In other words, it's a MIRV, right? It's got multiple weapons in it, but these are very large multiple weapons. So powerful that in just minutes launched from Russia, a hypersonic missile can hit Europe, spread those MIRVs, and destroy most of Europe. One missile, right? And this is being discussed openly in the media. It is being talked about by Russian officials like Lavrov, we have the ability to destroy Europe. Don't you forget that. And again, because we've been living under this mutual assured destruction yeah. view or modality for 75 years, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's just, that's, that's, what, that's what goes on. I mean, that's what we talk about. That's what we do. I mean, what, what, what do you want from me? Right? Why should I give a shit? Okay. Yes. And, and, and so it, it, it looks like there's a race now between getting the damn disclosure done, right, of which there's a lot of things happening, and that nuclear war that we have wanted for so long. 
I can't, dis- I, again, I cannot hardly describe to you how, I notice I wish I didn't know. Ignorance is bliss. I wish I didn't know any of this, right? I wish I knew nothing about history. I didn't know nothing about the Cold War, nothing about the ET issue that I just, I don't know, I went to a job. I went home. I had a damn good television uh, and, I, and I watched it and I went to bed and that's it. Unfortunately, that's not the path I took, though there are many people on that path. That's okay. I have no problem with that. But again, they will be just as big a victim as those in the know. All right. But this is what I know. And so the message that I'm trying to convey here for those that maybe haven't quite connected these dots. All right. Is this and then I'll I I will shut up. I swear to God. Right. Right. Sure. Okay. Is, is this, we learned about the, our government has known about the extraterrestrial presence, the Soviets have known about the extraterrestrial presence, the Chinese have known about the extraterrestrial since the 1940s. That's right. That has been embargoed, right? We're not allowed to officially acknowledge that, all right? That is true, all right? Um, the extraterrestrial presence of the many things we know about it, and we know a lot, Probably the single most important thing that we know is not that they make hybrid children, though that's pretty interesting and almost cool in a way, is that they repeatedly turn off our nuclear weapons. I mean, that, you know, one of the reasons that the the, the Pentagon and the Air Force absolutely refuse to deal with the nuclear weapons tampering people like Salas and Chindel and all the others is that that one thing. They knew they could not in any way publicly engage. They would very much like if all those witnesses, how would you say, I don't know, died and never came back. All right. Uh, But they couldn't do that because we haven't completely devolved to the 11th century. And so it's just pretend they don't exist. They just don't exist. They don't exist. And the media kind of went along with it. And no matter how much emerged, you know, Hastings' book and his research and the documentary and the, and the press conference, no matter how much of verse, we're not going to deal with it, okay? And because they didn't deal with it, because the New York Times didn't deal with it, because the Washington Post didn't deal with it, then the vast majority, almost everybody in this world, still to this day, doesn't know that the, the ETs have repeatedly turned off our nuclear weapons. What more of a message do you have to give Do they have to suddenly take over every television screen in the entire planet and computer screen? So when you're on a game or you're watching Netflix or whatever the hell, and suddenly up comes a group of extraterrestrials, and they're basically saying, look, people, what in the hell are you doing? Right? There is a galaxy of civilizations doing quite well out here. A few of them did blow themselves up. We feel bad about that. But, you know, it happens. But nevertheless, you, you are a highly advanced civilization. And you have got 20,000 nukes with 3,000 still on an instant launch capability. What in the hell are you doing? Is that what they have to want? They've chosen not to do that for whatever reason. Okay. But they have sent that message. And that message is pretty much as sequestered as the fundamental ET reality itself. It is also, in a way, embargoed. So... Bob Salas, uh, on the 24th of this month, the 24th of June, rather, finally was able to testify, I believe under oath, to 
to a, a legislative body about the truth regarding the, uh, the tampering of nuclear weapons by non-human technology. That's right. Only it was in Brazil, not the United States. Not, not the United States with the Air Force that he pledged to serve in and served in with honor. Not here, Brazil. That should be an absolute massive embarrassment to every single politician in this country, every single member of the national security state. This man had to go to Brazil to testify because you simply can't get around to holding a goddamn hearing about it. Yep. Well, at least for the witnesses. But you have gotten to a hearing where a couple of functionaries came in and announced that they're working on developing a task force at the Pentagon. That's fine. I love that hearing. Don't want to rush into these things. But the irony that on the seventeenth uh, of did I get this right? Seventeenth of June. Mm. Was it June? June or May seventeenth? May seventeenth? Was it May seventeenth? Uh, or you, uh, that, that we had our first congressional hearing oh. in 58 years. Was it May, was it May 17 or June 17, Peter? Uh, June. Okay. And, uh, the irony that we finally had our first hearing in 54 years in the same month. Wait a minute. No, no, it was May 17. It was May 17. In, 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 in roughly the same time that the first member of the U.S. military was able to testify, but in another country. <laughs> the irony of that is not lost on me. And again, if I am in the Pentagon, if I'm anywhere involved in this issue, including in the office of Marco Ruby or anywhere else, I, I should be sitting there going, my God, I mean, what, what, is our, what, what is our intention? What are we really prepared to do? Yeah. Have we really thought this through? And so this is where I'm at now, is I'm about to launch a project pretty soon. It, it's not going to be easy, but it, it's, we're going to do the best we can, but it's significant. And, of course, there's many other things going on. Uh, and, 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 and this is what I wanted to express. We are 400 years from a time when a worldview change was a major worldview change. A paradigm shift of extraordinary proportions was on the table and it was pressed back against by authority. And 400 years later, in a much more intensive way, a much more profound way, we are on the, in the edge of a massive worldview change again. And the authority is pressing back against it. Right. And it's having to press hard because this isn't the seven, the you know, the uh, seven, the sixteenth, seventeenth uh, century, right? Where little Galileo's got his little telescope and he's and he's and he's you know he he's written some things down that nobody is going to read for God knows when, and he has almost no authority. And the Catholic Church has massive authority, and it's like, okay, oh, I'm sorry, I'll have to I'll have to be in home confinement. No, 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 no. This is a time when you have all kinds of people with technology able to engage the issue and put the information out and talk about it, put it on social media and just shove it at the government. Right. The evidence. You know, this is the, this is even 1970s, 1980s. The right. evidence and the reality of this issue is being shoved at the United States government en masse. And so the United States government has to push back even harder to keep it away. Yep. It can't, you know, put a couple of people, and burn them at the stake and everybody. Oh, OK, fine. No, I can't do that. So the effort being put into holding off this worldview by 
again, I focus on the United States, but this is basically happening everywhere. But we are a major focus of this ET reality, okay? Is enormous, and they're still doing it, right? You want another nuclear submarine? You got it, baby. Right? You need a, you want a hypersonic missile so we don't fall behind those nasty, nasty Russians? You got that missile. How much is it going to cost? About a billion. I mean, uh, about about a trillion for the program. No problem. We got it. We can, we like Richard Nixon said. We I I can we can get that. We can get that trillion. But if you want hearings, if you want to end this truth embargo, oh wait a minute, man, what are you talking about? Uh, that's going to create a worldview change that will upset the world. And I'm saying, you mean upset the world, kind of like a nuclear war would upset the world? I mean, would it would it would it be that obvious? Would it be that would that be appropriate analogy that the world learning that we're not alone? And by the way, probably a third to a half of the world already knows we're not alone, that that is going to be as upsetting as a nuclear war. Right. And that is where we are. Meanwhile, here on Earth, that's where we are, Peter. Thank you for allowing me to do this. This screed. I feel so much better. I'm honored that you did the screed, meanwhile, here on Earth, and the ultimate irony of you're doing it on your terms, in your own words, at your own pace, is we're about to go to break. Join us in several minutes when we return to Meanwhile, Here on Earth, with myself, Peter Robbins, and my extraordinary goat guest. Ghost. And- <laughs> Is that is that a Freudian slip, Peter? Oh boy! Hopefully not. Um, <laughs> and good friend and esteemed colleague Steve Bassett. We'll be back shortly. Hey, members. The new KGRA DB app is now available on iOS and Android devices. Gain on-demand access to any KGRA DB programming. Download any show directly to your mobile device to listen or watch on the go. Go to the App Store and search KGRA DB. Scrolling all day, time can disappear. Wanna make it count? Why not volunteer? Posting pics of your food, that takes up time. Time, you've got time to binge all of season nine, though it got so bad. Time, you got time. We're gonna grow back and be the same brows you had. Just a few hours to keep families from harm. Help us end home fires with sound the alarm. Volunteer for a day to install free smoke alarms in your community. Discover the Observation Deck, a one-of-a-kind virtual event platform that takes video conferencing to the next level by using avatars to navigate a campus. There's so many areas and activities to choose from. There's a thousand-seat auditorium, an expo hall, a nightclub, and even a beach. So come attend a conference, take a class, or hear a lecture on the incredible Observation Deck campus. Go to theobservationdk.com. You're listening to the KGRA Digital Broadcasting Network. We provide unparalleled coverage of trending news in the world of ufology, cryptozoology, and paranormal phenomenon. Whether you're watching our video live stream or listening to one of our audio programs, 
you are getting the best from world-renowned researchers and hosts, guiding you through topics the mainstream won't touch. Miss one of your favorite programs? No problem. Head over to the members area at kgradb.com for access to our massive library of award-winning content. Make contact, stay connected, only at kgradb.com. And welcome back to Meanwhile Here on Earth with my special ghost, Stephen Bassett. Uh, that was uh, a wonderful little slip of the tongue. May you never be a ghost for many, many years into the future. Um, before we return to this whole paradigm shifting discussion, um, a bit of a commercial word. Uh, KGRA, Digital Broadcasting, has literally thousands of programs going back years uh, with the most extraordinary selection of guests, hosts, right up there with any major network in the world. Uh, in order to access them all at any given time, all you need to do is subscribe, which you can do by the month or by the year, at I think a, a fairly good rate. Um, making it even more attractive is the fact that if you are interested in subscribing to KGRA, and you use my name, Peter, as your subscription code, you will get a full 30% off your monthly or yearly prescription. Subscription, not prescription. Although for some, um, that ends this commercial part of the program. Steve, while you were speaking, my thoughts were <laughs> moving from one location to another going back to duck and cover as a kid in elementary school, to the Cuban Missile Crisis, to <clears throat> Kennedy being shot, to Vietnam, and on down the pantheon of events that we have seen in our lifetime. And of course, overshadowed by uh, our preoccupation with the subject of this extraordinary cover-up of the most important fact with implications for the human race, certainly in millennia. I, as a student of history, um, I've felt for years that my best contributions to the world of UFO studies have been kind of 101 and entry level uh, on a certain level. Um, I am not at all involved in the dialogue on the place where a lot of people now think everything began in 2004. Um, I don't speculate with rare exceptions on the nature of our visitors population. And I try to couch the subjects that I put forward in post-war history. Uh, my prime audience is a relatively open-minded, reasonably intelligent skeptic who was brought up to understand that this stuff is not real and that it is all explainable in other terms. I remember going back to uh, 
either the first or one of the first X conferences, a brilliant series of conferences that you produced over the years in Washington and in Virginia. Uh, extraordinarily well attended with one of the best speakers lineups in the history of UFO studies, talking about aspects of a paper that in real time I gave this past weekend, uh, no, in, in real time uh, that I will be giving this coming weekend, but in fact, as you're listening or watching this, that I gave this past weekend in Denver at the uh, MUFON Symposium, marking the 75th anniversary of our modern age of UFOs. And the subject is the origins of UFO ridicule. It has not obsessed me, but it has bugged me for decades that it has been so remarkably successful. And without a great deal of work or expense, the drive mechanism, whether or not you're a presidential candidate or the guy sitting next to you at uh, work, that nobody likes being made fun of. And I'm finalizing the paper right now and doing time read-throughs. And I just want to take a moment here and read you one of the paragraphs at the opening of the paper. That said, we've long known that the subject of UFOs has been taken seriously by our military and intelligence communities since at least the summer of 1947, more seriously, in fact, than any other matter facing this nation before or since. Why then, until a few short years ago, were print and broadcast reports on the subject singled out for a level of ridicule, sarcasm, and condescension unmatched in the annals of modern journalism? And jumping to an unshakable fact of post-war American politics was that being perceived as someone who took the subject of UFOs seriously was tantamount to political suicide, and doubly so if you'd been reckless enough to go on the record as maintaining that some UFOs might actually represent advanced technology under intelligent control from parts unknown. But how really did the Western mindset come to instantaneously wire up the absurd notion that a report of something or some things completely unfamiliar to the viewer signaled um, th that viewers being out of contact with reality, delusional, de deceptive, a mystic, a hoaxer, a seeker of fame and fortune, a lonely soul looking for attention, or some naive true believer rather than someone who had simply seen something very real, which were they, they were unable to identify. This automatic response was and remains not only counterintuitive, it makes no rational sense at all. The fact is that, again, only until recently, this was what we were in great part up against, no matter how reasoned the argument, no matter what the evidence, no matter what the credibility of the witness, the mantra was ingrained in the summer of 1947, it can't be, therefore it isn't, therefore it's something else. And my job as a journalist, a scientist, a media uh, talking head or reporter is to explain it in terms that will allow you to understand that whatever it is, it's not that. Now we are in this, I won't even say transitional period, 
And when you started to speak, and I got a sense of where you were going with it, I thought, isn't that interesting? Because the question I was about to ask you to start with was kind of a microcosm question in the moment around the same uh, dynamic that you were talking about. And it was basically this. Here we are on July 5th, rather than a week from July 5th when our listeners or viewers are hearing us, at a moment in the American timeline where we have just passed the officially acknowledged 75th anniversary of the modern age of UFOs. It's been something that a lot of us have been anticipating would be an opportunity to see a fair amount of rational coverage, uh, dialogue, debate, um, perhaps some features in uh, respected print and broadcast, and something happened. Well, uh, number one, we uh, right in there were bracketed by two of our wonderful all-American mass murders, um, Supreme Court decisions that sucked all the air out of the room. And I thought, how ironic that the Supreme Court announced their decision to um, uh, suspend, uh, do away with Roe versus Wade on June 24th. And I remember as I feel, <laughs> I understand how passionate so many people feel, I think. Uh, about what they see as the moral and religious issues involved. My feeling is, unless there are absolutely extraordinary circumstances, and I may catch hell on this, I could care less, that nobody has a right to tell any woman what she should be doing or not doing with her own body. That is her decision or between her and her family and her, or her family and her physician. That said, I caught myself laughing in a dark kind of way, thinking what I'm not thinking here, not being uh, conspiratorially wired into uh, the fringes of the internet is the Supreme Court members sitting around saying, let's, let's drop the Roe versus Wade thing on the 24th of June. That'll absolutely blow any potential 75th anniversary of UFO coverage out of the water. And that's part of my mandate here. Also climate change. Uh, the price of gasoline, the escalating conflict in Ukraine. Um, in this sense, as we've moved into the summer, uh, where do you feel we stand in terms of continuing to um, get out the word, promote, uh, keep the public reasonably and rationally informed on the progress of this subject, as opposed to where we might have been had not all of these circuses, sideshows, tragedies, and other affairs superimposed themselves on this moment in time? I'll answer that question, and then I'm going to uh, come, continue uh, talk with about your dialogue. Two, 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 uh, two uh, very important analogies. I'm a big analogy guy. Uh, it's because you brought some things to mind I want to get into. Uh, but uh, look, Right now, here is my most favorable uh, timeline. It's uh, just my most favorable. I can't really assess 
or ascribe a certain percentage to it. But uh, here's what I think will happen in the next couple of months. One, uh, the uh, the January 6th hearings will end later this month. There's I don't the think it's going to go on too much longer. Um, they really want to get it done before, quote, our Congress goes home for, the, for their summer vacation. Right. Um, not that they couldn't be called back, but they still. Uh, and shortly thereafter, uh, there will be indictments that are going to come down from the Department of Justice uh, regarding uh, high-level American officials. Uh, and that's going to be big news as well. No question. Big news. Not quite the same kind of focus that the hearings are getting because this is, you know, this is a very visual thing and you've got yes. uh, the, these, these uh, things being watched by millions of people and the press is all over it. But I think indictments will be big news, but it's not quite in the same way. I think by early August, there is no reason uh, why. And again, there's these various schedules, but when you're talking about hearings, the only people that need to be back in town for a hearing is the members of the committee, not the entire Congress. And so say the Senate, I don't know how many people in the Senate intel, I think it's like maybe 15 or something or 14, just 14 come back and the chairman and they can hold hearings and they'll be just as important as if the whole Congress is in town. I think the chance for hearings again to start uh, in August is very real. Uh, uh, either I, I, the next hearing will either be another I think could be a subcommittee hearing like the one we had, the House subcommittee uh, chaired by Andre Carson, with a couple of more functionaries coming up from the DOD with more information about how things are going and that kind of thing. Just sort of another, in other words, it's, uh, it's like a, the, the, the entree is preceded by two early courses before you get to the entree as opposed to one. Or we might jump right to an intel committee because the next major, the, the one we're looking for is an intel committee hearing, okay, um, for witnesses. And that could happen in August. Once one of those is takes place, once a reasonable selection of military witnesses actually sits down under oath with the cameras on uh, televising and archiving this to the world, the process will be unstoppable. It will accelerate very quickly. We just need that one out of the way. The moment the world hears even a modest amount of testimony under oath, okay, it's not the same thing as reading it in the New York Times. It's not the same thing as watching it on a podcast. Under oath in front of that, that makes it absolutely real. The process will accelerate, which creates a realistic possibility that we could be in a position by the end of August for the president to confirm the extraterrestrial presence based upon extraordinary testimony that everybody's watching together and uh, thus establishing a relatively uh, apolitical, safe uh, way. Do I think Biden knows about the ET presence? Absolutely. That's not the same thing as being able to tell the people about it uh, and have it work. Uh, and so we could, by the end of August, have a situa situation because of the testimony of many, many military witnesses, some of which we don't even know exist, but will turn up. The president can confirm the extraterrestrial presence. Okay. Say be August, September, which is September, October. So it will be about two months before the election. Now, what does that mean? It means that, and this is really important. It means that for the last two months of the election, hmm. 
not the primary candidates. They're pretty much will have been selected by then. But the actual candidates for 468, 69 offices, federal offices, meaning that member, the, all the congressional members and 33 or so Senate candidates. And by that, I mean, so that's really, you know, there are, they're the odd third party and the odd independent. But basically, you're talking about uh, what's 469 times, 930 candidates, right, with a realistic chance to be a member of Congress or the Senate will be able to walk out in front of an audience or and speak to a journalist and actually give their view, ask, answer a question about the fact that, uh, sir, madam, uh, you want to be a senator of the United States or you want to be a member of Congress. Uh, what is your view about what we've just learned from the president of the United States that, in fact, that phenomenon is extraterrestrial, that we're not alone in the universe? What are your thoughts on that? What do you see as how we should deal with this? Uh, what policies what we enact? What is, is it a threat? Is it not a threat? They will all be able to be asked that question and answer that question without any fear of ridicule. And more importantly, the question is basically non-political. In other words, almost any question about the ET presence, once confirmed, is, is going to be pretty much apolitical. Uh, and so that's a question they can answer without having to jump through hoops. Yes. Uh, meaning, well, if I, if I, if I answer it this way, I'll, I'll lose the, the over 60 vote or, or if I go this way, I'll lose, maybe lose the support of the national, whatever the hell they can just answer the damn question. It's a non-political, it's the most non-political thing in the world, basically at its core. Now, will the, the policies, uh, relating to the reality of an extraterrestrial presence? or at least the knowledge of it, as well as the reality of it, have political aspects that might go partisan? Absolutely. That will develop in the post-disclosure world. I'm not shocked about that. It's okay. Let us hope that the partisan quality of it, though, is reasonable, responsible, and not ridiculous. Okay. All right. So that is, and and then the election will take place, and everyone that's going to serve in the United States Congress in the next session starting in January of 2023, uh, as well as at least a third of the sitting members of the United States Senate will be on record with respect to their thoughts on this on this incredible worldview change or massive paradigm shift and uh, have had a couple of months, actually be bad, almost three months or more, I, no, you know, almost, almost four months to decide what to do. I am now a senator. What do I want to do about that? Do I think it's important? Uh, should, are there some bills to be introduced and, and so forth? This, w- this would be the rational, thoughtful, reasonable, appropriate way for this to go. Right? In, in every way, politically, scientifically, journalistically, the whole nine yards, it would unfold beautifully. I believe that is a possibility. Hmm. And so that's my best case scenario. I'm going to spare you my other scenarios because none of them are good. We're going to come back to those other scenarios in a moment. But as you've completed this thought, I'm sitting here thinking, I've known this guy for a long time. I don't think there's anybody in the field who has been more ferociously dedicated to the niche they have carved out for themselves. You are our full-time actual registered lobbyist in the Beltway area. 
although now 3,000 miles away, but in the Beltway and heart, um, to deal with this issue of, as you call it, the truth embargo, as I would call it, the UFO cover-up. It's semantics. Uh, it's just words. But what you've just said is, is a very bold assertion. It's um, it's based, obviously, on a lot of knowledge, a lot of time, deductive reasoning, critical thinking, your own common sense, and um, daring to think outside of the Washington, D.C. box and the post-war history box, so to say. My first thought is, oh, boy, I, I can hear people in my mind saying, oh, Bassett, he's such an optimist. You know, he's just not in the real world about this whole disclosure thing. He's been saying it's around the corner for years, but it never happens. And I'm thinking to myself, what an incredibly extraordinary chess move this would be um, in the world of American holographic chess at this almost explosive moment, very sadly, I think, tragically, um, in the history of this very young democratic republic experiment that is fraying at the edges so badly that you don't have to be some conspiracy driven thinker to realize we 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 are on the edge of well we're lingering on the edge of tremendous crisis which brings me to my first analogy jump back in okay let's put aside the concept of the ship of state Right. That, that that term emerged a long time ago when ships were a really big thing. <laughs> Until Doolittle showed us, wait a minute, uh, you can bomb the hell out of these damn things <laughs> from airplanes. Right? <laughs> Let's talk about the the uh, the airplane of state. OK, the airplane of state. Uh, most people are aware that one of the dangers of flying uh, is called the death spiral. In other words, if a plane gets put in a certain uh, uh, position, right, it can go into a spiral and you can't get out of it. The heavier the plane, well, the heavier the plane, they tend to be have jets. Whether it's, I'm going to confine this analogy to the your, your basic uh, single engine, maybe double engine, uh, uh, you know, propeller plane. But I think it also applies to jets, but let's find it to the propeller plane. Anyway, you get into it, what a flat spiral and you can't get out. In other words, it's going to, you're going to continue to go around and around and around. And you're going to crash into the earth. Okay. Death spiral. I believe that the United States has been in a death spiral, slowly developing death spiral, right? Since the date that I ascribe to it is 1964. It's kind of the, that's the date I like to use. I mean, really, it's a very subjective thing. You could pick almost any date. Uh, but the 64 is the one that appeals to me. Why? Uh, and the reason that I use that date is that is that right around that time, the Gulf of Tonkin resolution is kind of the, the, the okay. marker that I like to use, yeah. is when the United States made the extraordinary commitment to escalate a vast war in Asia, right? Uh, and as a proxy war 
to hold back the raging communist uh, in Asia that we're going to take over all of Asia if we didn't do this. Domino theory. And uh, committed itself really to the Vietnam War, which very quickly was, it was evident that this was a catastrophe. It wasn't just a catastrophe in terms of the nuts and bolts of it, meaning this many people are going to die and, and so forth. It was, I think, the end of all, whether you knew it or not, it was the end of all of the illusions that the American people had about what their country was, what it stood for, what its moral grounding was and what have you. Every country likes to have a high opinion of itself. No problem <laughs> there. Uh, and those opinions are very much influenced by uh, a lot of made-up history and a lot of illusion. But nevertheless, it's your country. It's where you live, what have you. And so consequently, you, you, uh, you want to be proud of it and you want to feel good about it. And there's nothing wrong with that. The United States, because it emerged as such a major power due to World War II, and because of the extraordinary success we had in World War II, too, uh, defeating something, and that's another analogy I want to get to, but defeating something pretty damn awful, that, es- that understanding of the nation and the importance of the United States and what it stood for was elevated probably to its highest place ever, okay? That we peaked, right, in the aftermath of World War II. The Korean War kind of uh, put some questions to that a little bit. The Korean War was a much, you know, kind of hard to ass- assess, but a lot of people sort of understood that it was, a, it was a, an after effect. It was like, uh, you know, World War II was a, 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 a Category 5 earthquake, Uh, or a a level nine earthquake and the Korean war was like an aftershock, a very substantial aftershock, but inevitable. We didn't even call it a war and we still don't. So we we did that. It was kind of awful contained. And that ends essentially in uh, around 55. I forget the exact year. And then we really started to bask in the, the glow of a, a world-saving, economically growing country with a strong moral position, strong belief in God, patriotism, and so forth. And that lasted for nine years. And that was an interesting time. Still plenty of bad things going on, lots and lots of racism and so forth, and uh, you know, the usual kind of discriminations. But as a nation, people had a certain feeling about it. In other words, the plane of state was flying along, a little bumpy, but yet it was flying along proud as an eagle. And then 64 happened. And it shattered very quickly the illusions of hundreds of millions of people around the world, including me. It changed my life. Uh, I was I was raised in a Navy officer family, warrant officer family, basic Navy brat, moving around from place to place. It's all I knew. It's all very good. Mm. Comfortable life. Not rich, but comfortable. Made all my little models of Navy ships, lots of them and and so forth, and some airplanes. Glued them all together. 
life was okay. It was safe and good. And then I, I went to college in 1964. And very shortly after that, I began to realize something was not right with the world. I was marching around a, 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 an area. It was like a, a, what do you call it? A, a kind of a plat, plat, big plat patio between two buildings with an M1 on my, my uh, uh, shoulder, marching around, learning, you know, to take commands uh, because uh, ROTC was mandatory, Georgia Tech at the time. I did that for one quarter and then they did away with it because by the end of the first, my first quarter at Georgia Tech, there was enough awareness that something really not good was happening that they, they decided probably mandatory ROTC was not a good idea. I didn't really get that at the time, but later on I understood. So I didn't have to march around with an M- M1, but whatever. It just all went to hell. And, and, and I, I wasn't emotionally, I was very Im- immature emotionally. And, and uh, again, narrow. And uh, this, this military kid doesn't know anything about the world. Uh, and so I didn't handle it well. All right. 1964 is the beginning. And it's been in a flat death spiral ever since, as far as I'm concerned. From 64 on, it's just one disaster, one screw up one political mess after another, after another. Sprinkled in there is the odd success here and the odd maybe uh, social improvement here. But as the country grew larger and larger and the debt grew larger and larger and the military weapons got more and more and more and more and more, the United States has been heading on down. I've, I've known that, felt it, sensed it. Right? Most the vast majority of all of the nations, sovereignties, municip- you know, the sovereign municipalities, empires, kingdoms are all gone. Right. We got 200 now. All right. So, and, and, you know, and, and, and some of them will be gone pretty soon. Right. So this, America is not guaranteed a, 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 a permanent life. No, not at all. Most democracies don't last long at all. They, 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 they tend to be difficult to maintain. OK. But for good reasons. They're difficult to maintain because there's things about them that are incredibly important and valuable, but those very things are vulnerabilities at the same time. That's right. So our, our sustenance is not guaranteed. We know that. Okay. So, and, and we're in a death spiral. So when we hit the ground, that's the end of the game. Now, I felt that way for a long time. That has not helped my worldview. It has not helped my ability to get up in the morning and go get them, start up a couple of companies, make a couple of hundred million bucks, whatever the hell. It didn't help. It's very depressing. And in fact, I've watched through my lifetime as huge numbers of people who feel pretty much the same way have basically checked out. We have the highest use of antacids and opioids and drugs in the world. I mean, people, why why do people do that? Why why do we have so many alcoholics? Why do we have so many obese people and so much diabetes? I'll tell you why. Because that, that worldview I just described has been going on and people know it one level or another, either conscious or subconscious, and it's not helpful to their emotional health. And so they turn to escape of every kind in order to get away from it. If, if we've learned anything about the American, American situation, American society of this time, it is riddled with angst that didn't just show up yesterday. It's been building for decades. Okay, we are riddled with it. Okay, and and it's showing up everywhere. Okay, there's and I don't want to go into that, but just I'll just mention one thing. This angst has led to something that I felt was a common sense, inevitable thing. At some point, we were going to start celebrating 
for the 4th of July, not by shooting fireworks, but by shooting each other. Okay? Logical. Makes total sense. So we are. Okay. But let's stop for a second. So this is not a good thing. And there are a lot of people out there, a lot of smart people that are writing columns in, in, in newspapers and, and elsewhere and uh, any number of platforms that are basically saying, boy, I don't think we're going to make it through this. I don't know what's going to happen. And so forth and so forth. Well, I think what's going to happen is if we don't come out of the spiral, we crash. And, and when that happens, whether it's nuclear war, whether it's just a dissolution of democracy, there's going to be a lot of people saying, man, I really wish I hadn't stuck around for that. In fact, I don't think I'm going to stick around for this. This is not on the men- not on my menu. And so thank you. Goodbye. Have a great time. I'm checking out. Okay. Now, where am I going with this? You're saying. I'm sure you are saying that. What the hell? Where the hell is he going with this? I know he's the master of analogy, but boy, this is a tough one. How in the hell is he going to get out of this whole flat spiral air, airplane of state? Yeah, please. It turns out that if you're in a Cessna 1, what are they, Cessna 102, 104, 107, whatever, and you're in a death spiral and you're, and you're, and you're, you're not feeling good about it, if you pass through an area where there's a strong air current, in other words, I'm not talking about sort of the, the uh, you know, the, what do they call it, that giant air current above, but just, just you're, you're, get, you're getting into some weather and there's some strong, strong airflow, strong wind, and you pass into that. That wind is enough to reorientate the plane, to give it a little extra lift and allow you to pull out of that spot. Okay? It's like a deus ex machina in a way. It's not guaranteed. Right? And you're in a death spiral. You're at 30,000, 20,000 feet and you're down to 10,000. You're going... This doesn't look good. This doesn't look good. But hey, no problem. God will not let me crash this plane. God is going to provide me a deus ex machina in the form of a nice breeze. It's going to reorientate the plane. I'm going to pull out of it and I'm going to land and I'm going to go have a great steak dinner. You don't have that expectation. But it can happen. And when it does, you pull out and you land and live another day. So what is the analogy here? Disclosure. The worldview change, it's the biggest of all time, Yep. That, that we could pass through, as we're heading on down, we could pass through that event at any time. We keep putting it off. You know, it's like, it's like, it's like the pilot realizes, wow, I just hit some wind here and it's kind of oriented the change, but I, 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 I don't want to, I don't want to get out of the spiral just yet. Let me, let me keep on going down. Maybe there'll be another wind change for it closer to the ground, you know, but I don't want to, I don't want to, I, I know I, I'll just continue. Right? This is exciting. This opportunity. Uh, and maybe I'll get another one before I hit. Uh, so disclosure is a, a huge wind of change. It is a massive paradigm shift that if, if we pass through it, I think it is more than capable of providing this plane, this plane of state, a, an orientation and a little extra lift that we can pull out of it and we will live another day. Okay. And I'll go further than that. Unless somebody is, knows something I don't know, Right. Because there, I don't know, maybe it's down in 4chan, 8chan, deep web, whatever the hell this I don't know. I don't see anything else. There is nothing else that I see that is going to prevent this death spiral from reaching the earth. OK. All right. I don't see it. Somebody says, oh, no, 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 no. Steve, there's, there's a couple of things that could happen. 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The Congress could pass a particular law. Oh, it's going to change everything. Now, there's nothing. Right. If you look at the forces at play in this world today, whether it's China, Taiwan, whether it's which, which, which the absolute turmoil in the Middle East, whether the situation in Russia, economic situations, whatever. You look at all of these massive forces that are far bigger than they've ever been before because mm-hmm. we've got eight billion people now and 200 countries and massive weapons and massive armies and everything else. We can't feed enough people, close enough people, house enough people. I've got people in tents living all around my neighborhood. Right. Some of them are living in, you know, lean to shelters. Like they put a couple of tables up against a fence and they go underneath there with a with a with a half a mattress in Hollywood, two blocks from the Paramount studio. OK. This is the only thing we have to stop that death spiral. OK. And we keep putting it off. So that's one analogy. Now I'm going to give you another one. Right. To get back to something you said earlier. I'm going back to what you were saying earlier about your what you wrote. Now, this is a little dangerous analogy. I'm going to I'm going to tread carefully. I'm going to try to tread carefully. <laughs> but it's valid and it's true. The truth embargo begins to me the formal and that's why i i i said I, I long ago and I'm about to try to reinvigorate it. But I created something called. Uh, and there was somebody that created something called the World Disclosure Day, but they weren't able to really develop it and promote it. I then picked it up and started it up again. I forget back in 2000 something. World Disclosure Day, meaning uh, let's uh, let's uh, let's celebrate a, a World Disclosure. We haven't had it yet, but let's just acknowledge that one day there will be. World UFO Day gets all the action. I get that. But World Disclosure Day is July the 8th. And I set that date July the 8th because that's mm. the day that Roger Ramey changed the story, held the press conference and said, no, it's a weather balloon. To me, that's the that's the historical beginning of the truth embargo. All right. I'd so agree. World Disclosure Day is is coming up in three days, at least as I. And by the way, when disclosure happens, I'm instantly going to change World Disclosure Day to that day, you know, and I'll put it up on the site, you know, and say, now let's celebrate this day. And I think people will go, yeah, it actually happened. So let's celebrate it, you know. But Bassett trying to get us to celebrate a day that hasn't happened yet. Ah, that's him being, you know, Bassett. And, you know, I mean, we're not going to do it. That's okay. Still, I've got 5,000 endorsements on that site. People have sent in their little form and endorsed it. Huge. Long. Whatever. Okay. Now, essentially what happens from that day going forward at its core is a massive propaganda campaign which nations are very good at, have been at good at for a very long time. And in fact, as we reach the modern age, propaganda gets even more sophisticated, right? Much better than it was in the 11th century, the 13th century or whatever. But governments y- using propaganda to rule goes back thousands of years. And by propaganda, I mean the government gives you a bunch of information which essentially is not true or even in your best interest makes you accept it, whether you like it or not, and forces you to operate under that false uh, aegis uh, in order to serve the government and authorities' uh, needs. Okay, This has been going on a long time. And so since 1946, that's what the government has done. This is a propaganda campaign. False information, misinformation, uh, suppression of information, harassment, uh, and it's highly sophisticated because it had to be. This propaganda campaign was conducted uh, in the second half of the 20th century, during a massive uh, technology uh, uh, curve going up and the access to information and the ability to be part of the uh, information matrix uh, just exploded. 
And so, you know, if you want to control uh, millions and millions of people's thinking, it ain't getting easier in the 20th century. It's getting harder. But nevertheless, they had resources, too, and they invested a lot of money in it. And so they are still to this day uh, uh, ex- exercising a propaganda campaign. So when you hear a number of these people coming forward, I don't want to name names, but there's plenty of them that are coming forward or people turning up in Congress at hearings. They're not telling you everything they know. They can't tell you everything they know. In fact, they even have to still lie because the actual process of ending this this propaganda campaign, ending this big lie, in order for it to, to, to go forward responsibly and work, it's necessary to hedge what you know, what you're willing to say and operate and stay between the lines to get the job done. Because if everybody just came out and said what they know, it's going to create, it's not going to lead where we want to go. It's going to create a lot of chaos. And so the propaganda campaign continues, but what's happened is the propaganda, ideally we don't want any of that, is now more in service to ending the truth embargo. I'll take that. Okay. But here is, here is where things get a little tricky. This 75-year propaganda campaign led by the United States with substantial support and, and, and acquiescence from all of its allies, from implicit uh, support from Soviet Union, Russia, and China, not because they, they really love this campaign, right? Oh, U.S., you got it right. We're, no, no, no. Totally different societies. They have even more powerful reasons why they do not want anybody in their country to know about ETs. They just don't. Right, by and large, or they certainly don't want them engaging it. And so they, they've, they've stood back and they have, they have not done anything of note to end the truth embargo, as we, as we call it. Uh, so that pretty much is the whole damn world, isn't it? Uh, Granada tried to do something back in the 70s, but who the hell cares about Granada? It's no big deal. Okay, so, so this propaganda campaign immediately followed the culmination of another propaganda campaign probably one of the worst in history with an even longer pedigree than the truth embargo propaganda campaign. All right. But the concepts were the same. The mechanisms were the same by and large, though they were appropriate to the time and the times. And what propaganda campaign am I talking about? It was conducted in many countries over many, many years thousands of years okay and that propaganda campaign was this authority put out information false information about the nature of certain peoples particularly those of a jewish legacy than others but it turned out for convenience sake the jewish people needed to be the fundamental focus for the campaign as opposed to say gypsies right or pick some other groups yeah yeah they could but they, they could have done that too but that wouldn't have been as effective there was a long history with respect to people of jewish persuasion and therefore they were able to to work with that and so essentially this propaganda campaign which spread false information about this particular group of people for several thousand years starts to reach its penultimate expression with the rise of the Reich, Third Reich, where they pumped out even more of this information in a time when information could be dispersed even better. 
in order to literally serve not just the national security interest, but their war interest. In other words, we're going to use the propaganda of these people to help us go to war because going to war is what we do. And they used every conceivable thing they could do. In other words, it wasn't like, oh, gee, we're going to put you under house arrest. You disagree with that, we kill you. We murder you. Boom, on the spot. We'll do anything. They had carte blanche. And the ridicule was utterly vicious. I mean, people are upset with the ridicule that has turned up in this disclosure movement going back, you know, and, you know, and somebody made fun of me at work and somebody said, I, I, where's your tinfoil hat? Let's just, let's just say without argument that the Jewish people went through ridicule uh, of about, you know, eight levels higher than that, including being slaughtered. Okay. And, and so what they did is the government, the Reich, in, 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 in similar to what other nations and, and, and cultures have done going back many years, is they focused all the ridicule on a target, right? And the target was your Jewishness, right? In other words, they just ridiculed the idea, the concept, uh, the, the, the looks, the image, everything they could so that anybody that was Jewish immediately is viewed as something less, something dangerous, something abhorrent by the vast majority of the people in the country that is exercising this propaganda campaign. They went pretty far in every direction. But one of the things they did that I particularly note is that they said, hmm, some people don't look Jewish. You know, they could be walking around town, going shopping and so forth, and people will think they're a fine, you know, of um, Germanic origin. So we need to do more. And so they passed a law that hmm. said if you were out in the public, you had to have a patch sewn on the clothing that could be seen, right, by everybody that would immediately know that you're Jewish. That way they know exactly where to direct their ridicule, right, and not mistake you for a non-Jew. They put that patch on their clothes. Well, that's pretty much, that's going pretty far. And so I would suggest this for those that think that the truth embargo was just the government trying to be, you know, protective of our interest and so forth. And why I have taken the position I have with respect to the acronym UFO. Yeah. What the government did, because they couldn't go as far as the Nazis. Right? We're bad, but we're not that bad. Is they said we're going to take this there, we're, this acronym which is in play and it was in play early on. We're going to direct the ridicule and the derision and all of that at this acronym. We're going to poison that acronym. We're going to make just saying it okay is instantly you're you know <laughs> what you said UFO you said UFO. So essentially, the only thing they didn't do was to demand that everybody in this field going all the way back to 1947 had to take a patch that said UFO on it and sew it on their clothing so that nobody would mistake the fact that that's where you think, that's what you think about, right? So that you couldn't just go out shopping and people would be talking to you, not realizing that, my God, you think there's little green aliens. They didn't go that far, but they didn't need to. Because in this era, the era after the war, 
because of the massive communication capabilities that were exploding, the ability to get information around fast, which only accelerated with the internet. Everybody's out there talking and expressing themselves. And so by and large, you didn't need somebody to have the UFO patch on your clothing mandated by law, lest you be put in prison. People were going to find it out. And they saw Twitter, they saw a Facebook post, they heard something, they saw you at a conference in some hotel you were staying and there was a UFO, whatever. People could find it out. And once they did, well, you're a UFO person. And of course, that that was enough because once that was there, so now you're an accountant in a nice big consulting firm in New York, and then your peop- your, your, your friends at the discover, oh my God, you've got a UFO library, or, or oh, wow, I saw you went to a conference, or whatever, right? There was nobody in the 50s or 60s or 70s that was going to, a, to a, uh, any kind of a job interview and mentioning their interest in the extraterrestrial issue, thinking that it would be, you know, show them to be a, a broader thinker and, and uh, maybe an intellect, and it might help them get the job. Nobody was doing that. So let's call it what it is. The truth embargo was a massive propaganda campaign built upon government-imposed ridicule, information suppression, disinformation, in order to isolate and create an intellectual ghetto for every single person that touches on that acronym, utters that acronym. And they meant business. Right. You say, well, no, no, no. It's just the average people out there and they just want to keep them at bay. and It's OK. And they're certainly not going to screw around with their 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 heroes. John Mack was a hero. He was a he was a Pulitzer Prize winner. He was a progressive. He created an institute. He was involved in multiple issues of great importance. He was the head of psychology at Harvard's Cambridge Hospital. He touched on UFO. He had to be destroyed. They put him in front of a tribunal. Edgar Mitchell, PhD astrophysics, walked on the moon, went UFO. I know enough about that to know it didn't make his life any better. No. Gordon Cooper. I'll go down the list. A quality, top of the line scientist with great prestige, Dr. James McDonald, went UFO and he had to be destroyed. That's right. This is the truth embargo. Is it as bad as the, is the massive disinformation and propaganda campaign that even to this day keeps the Jewish people at risk worldwide? No. In terms of how it's conducted, in terms of its viciousness, no. But the issue that is being suppressed you see, the propaganda campaign and the, and the ridicule of Jewish people was really tough on the Jewish people. God knows. I don't think there's any argument there. But the truth embargo campaign, this ridicule propaganda campaign is dealing with something that is affecting every living person on the earth. All 8 billion of them. There are aspects of this and what we will learn and what we're not being told that will affect the lives of all 8 billion people. And in fact, it would do that in a possibly very positive way at a time when the earth, the human race is heading for disaster. 
So it's a, a little broader issue. <laughs> There's a lot more at stake here. And so while, while one might not be as upset with how it was conducted, right? I don't think anybody was burned at the stake. A couple of suicides, right? Uh, but, you know, it, it may not be as how it's conducted, but the implications and the outcome may be even more profound. And so why do I make, the, why do I make these analogies? For two reasons. One, the United States isn't a death spiral, folks. And I think you're starting to see it finally, all right? Without getting into exotic conspiracies or a whole bunch of QAnon crap, just based upon what you can read in the major papers, we were in a death spiral, all right? And we've got to pull out of it. And secondly, all right, the planet Earth, in a way, the global civilization, is also very much in a death spiral. And we're, that's all being uh, discussed at great length. I mean, if, if, if you want to look forward about 30 or 40 years, it doesn't look good, okay? Doesn't look good at all. All right, now I don't want to go into that. I'm just saying that, like, uh, I think the reports that we're hearing about where things are going this century across a spectrum of analysis, from population to resources to water, to whatever, whatever, it looks really bad. Because we just got too many people, not enough space, not enough money, <laughs> the whole world's in debt. Whatever. The point is, I think in a way you could say that the planet itself is in a death spiral, meaning when it crashes, not everybody dies, but the ones that die, don't die are going, I wish I had died. So we got to come out of that too. That's So this is a pretty important time. It sure is. History is going to look, if there is a history or historians are going to look back and say, oh, man, you know, like they look back on the Civil War right now, which is really a tiny thing compared to what's happening right now and say, boy, we came close on that one. Could have ended up with two whole different countries there. The Union would have been much weaker. The South would have been completely separate, would have made us much more vulnerable to what comes later. Could have been really the end of the United States. Came really close. History is going to look back and say the whole damn planet came within this close or they look back in America and say came this close right and so this is non-trivial times we're in right there are always been problems and issues and, and activist movements no question and they needed to succeed and they made some progress when they did but what we're in now is existential activism at the highest level right and I'll 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 stop here Right. The that reason is because we're actually out of time, Steve. And okay. we let's quickly say this. Let's say this. Is that um did I lose that train of thought? I lost it. Sorry. Sorry to have derailed oh, okay. the engine. Got we my will First, you've given all of us a lot to think about and all the more reason to keep our eyes on November. Vote no matter what. Uh, it's so much more valuable than so many people seem to realize. Um, my friend, have a good summer. Continue to do what you're doing. It's such important work. For the rest of us, um, return here with me next week, where my guest will be activist, experiencer, guide of the beautiful um, Sedona, uh, Arizona region, um, and all-round extraordinary UFO researcher, Melinda Leslie. Stay well, fight for what you believe in, and be kind to each other. We'll see you next week.